Ashley Wynn Grimes shares her journey from experiencing cyber theft to launching a cannabis nursing school to educate health providers about cannabis. She explains how we can break the stigma of cannabis and start being open to how it has life-changing effects for people with chronic pain and other severe disorders. This is a fascinating episode. Welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Vasayo. And each week, I will bring you amazing guests so that you can tap into the courage to break out of all patterns and live your soul's purpose. Before we get into this episode, if by the end you enjoyed it, please follow, rate, review, and share the podcast so we can reach more people. Because here's the thing, I'm on a mission to close the gender gap in the podcasting world so that more and more women's voices are heard. If you feel that this is something you value too, then please take action by rating, reviewing, following, and sharing the podcast. We can only do this together. Check out the link in the show notes to see how this is done. And make sure to stay until the end to claim some free gifts I have for you. Welcome back to The Courage to Be, where we have powerful conversations to transform your life and your business. Today, we have Ashley Wingrimes with us. Welcome, Ashley. How are you today? I am fine. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. I'm excited for our conversation and see where everything leads us to. So share with us a little bit about your story. What's your story? How have you arrived to the work that you do? What kind of work are you putting out into the world? Yeah. So it's a long story. (laughs) Good. We have decades to talk about, but I've been a nurse for uh, 14 years. And right now my focus is education, cannabis education. I'm launching the cannabis nursing school, but I started off like every other nurse does. I graduated from nursing school. I took care of patients. I handed out medicine, the traditional roles. And I worked my way up. I was very goal-oriented I ended up getting my master's degree in nursing education and ended up in a corporate position a few years ago, about four years ago now, five years ago. And essentially I was responsible or I was a performance improvement specialist, process process improvement, things like that. And so the focus was cost savings. And as a nurse, that doesn't easily align like doesn't really work that well. And so I found myself kind of resisting it. And, you know, obviously I did my job well, but it was hard to be focused on money when we're talking about patients, you know? And so I ended up being the victim of a cyber theft where somebody stole the down payment to my home and I was victimized in that way. And so I responded as a victim. And so from there, it just became difficult to have the capacity to tolerate some of the, I guess, behavior in that setting. And so it became very important for me to prioritize my self-care. And so I wasn't going to a doctor because I'm a nurse. And so I just began doing research. I learned about yoga and I learned about the endocannabinoid system and all these things. And, you know, to me, it kind of reinforced what I felt like the sham of healthcare was, you know? And so it became my mission to help other people learn about the endocannabinoid system. And the rest kind of unfolded very naturally from there. Entrepreneurship got on my radar. I decided that 
you know, not only did they need to learn about the endocannabinoid system, but understand some of the entrepreneurial endeavors that came along with it, because there aren't really no jobs in this space for nurses right now. And, you know, to be continued, to be honest with you, so... Well, this is fascinating. There's several questions that I have within this of cyber stuff. So your focus right now is educating people about cannabis and the uses of it and how it can help the nurses and the healthcare takers or for them to utilize it with their patients. Yeah, so it's a couple of layers, but really the focus right now is the healthcare providers being able to support their patients in their own consumption. And so a lot of people don't think about this as a need, because if you're consuming it, the assumption is you know what you're doing. Uh, But for a lot of people, there is a more intentional approach that can happen with consumption, more information, more education. So an example of, of that is the different forms methods of consumption. Everybody assumes that you have to smoke it. You don't have to smoke it. Or looking for specific profiles that work best for specific symptom management. Those things can be considered with the support of a healthcare provider. So essentially, I help those providers be able to help their patients. But on the side, I also do consulting, mm-hmm. um, support dispensaries, things like that. So and then book sales. So I'm also the author of a book called Stigmatize. So the main mission, because I'm talking a lot, the main mission is to shift healthcare perspectives to be inclusive of holistic modalities. And so the method that I choose to do that is through speaking engagements and then through education of healthcare providers. Yeah, this is so needed because great title to your book, stigmatized, you know, I think we've been raised, or at least I have, you know, in Spain and here in the U.S. with, you know, cannabis is just bad for you, you know, and it's the war against drugs, you know, and it's this horrible drug, but the more research that's been done in these last years, you know, and it's just been legalized in so many states already, and I'm so thankful for that. It's actually, in my opinion, I think it's just not good that we've stigmatized this so much. I'm curious to read your book. And how do you come into this world of healthcare and teach and educate them and take the stigma out of that? You know, like how did it happen for you and how are you supporting or having these conversations? Because it's not an easy conversation. It's a little bit taboo still. Can you tell us some stories or how you've overcome this part of the stigma and the taboo subject of it and what the the great properties are of cannabis and how it can help people recover? Yeah, so the stigma is, I think, more multifaceted than people like to acknowledge. One of the questions when I wrote the book just trying to get insights on what people felt about the concept of stigmatization, I say, have you ever felt stigmatized? And people would say, no, they didn't feel like they had ever been stigmatized. And then I would explain the concept, which is basically, has anybody had a specific assumption about you that may not necessarily be true, just based off of the narrative that has been presented to them, which is essentially what stigma is. So 
as a brown woman who presents as a brown woman, there are a lot of stereotypes and stigma against me. And so when I would hear the term stigma in the cannabis industry, I really wanted to dig into the idea of it because it was the thing that was blocking people from even hearing what I had to say about the plant. And then what I realized is there are a ton of other things that people just don't want to talk about, right? So if I say, hey, I'm a nurse, there's an assumption that I'm a hero. Well, if I don't feel like a hero today, your assumption of me in that moment is inaccurate. If I show up today as a Black woman, you're going to assume very specific things based on the narrative in American society. And then as soon as I start speaking, the favor response is, oh, I didn't expect that from you. Oh, why not? <laughs> and so what? that's a great question to respond to them to. And do they become honest? You know, like when you say, why not? No. Because it really questions our own bias and our own narratives, our own assumptions that we have of people, of roles, of the things they consume or don't consume. You know, this, this is fascinating. So how would they respond, Ashley? Like if you're like, oh, why not? Like I didn't mm -hmm. expect that from you. What would be your response? Why not? Or what would be their response? Usually an avoidance. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then they'll want to move on to whatever we're talking about. So, uh, you know, and I don't expect a specific response, but I don't want us to dwell on all of the like superficial boxes that we create for other people. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Let's connect how we're going to connect is the goal. And so in my mind, if we lived in a perfect world, there would be no such thing as stigma. But unfortunately, those narratives have already been embedded in the way that we see the world. And so at the end of the day, I wrote the book Stigmatized to um, show that all the boxes that make me the mom box, the woman box, the black box, the nurse box, like all those things are part of my experience, but there, you know, it's way more to me, way more to this plant is way more than to every human than what meets the eye. And so I feel like it'll be, it could be a better world if we just approach things with more of a spirit of inquiry as opposed to judgment and bias. That's beautiful. Spirit of inquiry, because do you think presenting cannabis and helping people, you know, get educated about it and being a white woman would have been different than being a black woman or even a white man? Would I think that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's structural privileges that come along with gender, race, social class, neighborhood, like there's a ton of different ways that you can segment us out, people out to determine where they are hierarchically, if that's a word, I think I made that up, but mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so being in a position like being a nurse, for example, it's a very hierarchical situation in healthcare. And so generally when people observe that, they see the doctors up here and the nurses down here, right? And so we do that with all these different intersections and we cut them however we pretty much feel like it based on like your perception and how you see things. And so when we're talking about the cannabis industry specifically, 
because there's an overarching stigma on the industry itself, those who operate in a more privileged position get a little bit more access or get a little bit more leeway, have a little bit more access to capital, things like that, than, you know, a lot of people that I tend to attract. Yeah, this is so fascinating. Like you're saying the hierarchy, you know, because we tend to listen to our doctors, you know, the doctors come in with their white coat, they've had all these degrees. And if they were to be recommending cannabis, you know, to recover, and I'd be curious, how does that operate? Like, as you're educating people in the healthcare realm, are doctors included in that? Like, are, or is it mostly nurses? I mostly focus on nurses. It doesn't mean that doctors can't participate and can't get anything out of it, but generally their intentions are a little bit different. They focus on the certification piece of it. They're usually not the educators. Like that's generally not their role. They're not the ones who like connect with people like nurses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's not to say that they don't want to. It's not to say that they don't at all, but that's just not the general position of Mm -hmm. their role. They certify, they they diagnose. It's a very, I can't think of the word, but it's, it's very specific. And usually it takes very, little patient interaction for them to come to these conclusions. And so, but nurses, we spend, or physical therapists, occupational therapists, we spend a lot of content, we have a lot of contact with a patient. That's our role. And it has been already created that way. So being able to leverage our role in the way that cannabis is utilized, consumed, I think is is where the disconnect is currently. And so there are a lot of physicians that do support cannabis as medicine and probably would like a little bit more support that way. Definitely can help. But a lot of times they take the approach of, let me just certify these patients and let me find somebody, i.e. a nurse or somebody along those lines to help educate the patient. This is fascinating to me. What started you on this journey? Because that requires a certain level of courage you know, like you're saying, being a woman, being black and talking about a taboo subject, you know, that you could definitely be labeled as like, oh, you know, whatever labels you want to put on it. How did you get started on it and say, no, this is a mission for me. You know, like I could care less about labels now. I don't care how people view me. I'm on a mission now. Like, was there a turning point? Was it a specific day or did this go on for months? Tell us a little bit about that. It's been a journey. (laughs) It's been a journey. So really in my mind, the moment that sticks out to me is the cyber theft. I felt like if somebody can come and take that much money out of my bank account in in a matter of seconds, why can't I do what the heck I want to do? Why is it that I have no control over my life? Why am I following like antiquated methods of trying to achieve goals? I gotta move up the corporate ladder. Like, why am I doing all these things in this very regimented approach? Because it's not really getting me what I want. I don't really feel good doing it. And in addition to that, this person gets to steal all my money at the drop of a hat and I have been saving it for years. Like, how is that even possible? So for me, it really was about just kind of taking control of my own life 
and doing that for myself. But what I started to realize in that work is that a lot of people are living in fear with a fear-based perspective and they don't have the courage to speak their authentic thoughts. There's this need to conform, which I think conformity has its place, but individual thought has pretty much been put on the back burner. And so, so many times I would say something, it's like, oh, Ash, you can't say that. You're not allowed to say this. And it's like, but that's what I think. Like, why can't I say that? And then let's approach each other, have a spirited debate. Let's do it. I don't mind. You know, I'm not saying you have to, anybody has to agree with everything that I have to say. But at the end of the day, I don't feel like I should have to conceal it out of fear that somebody doesn't like it. Talk to me a little bit more about this taking control of your life, because I'm sure with the cyber theft, that has to reach certain levels of vulnerability and out of control, like you're saying. How did you step into that space of taking control of your life again? I don't know. I don't have steps. I don't know how, but I do know the contrast. So uh, I was definitely walking in a space of vulnerability, like you talked about. So a lot of people don't realize that when you experience cyber theft, it very much psychologically feels like somebody mugged you. Like, mm -hmm. and what made it worse was that a lot of people couldn't understand that. So I was looking through this lens of vulnerability, victimization. I would like to call it a post-traumatic response. And everybody was like, but you're okay. You know, everything's okay. But it's the latter. Like, no, I'm not okay. I don't feel good. I feel victimized. I feel like somebody has assaulted me. And everybody was, was expecting that I go back to business as usual, my job, my family, et cetera. And so that actually just pissed me off. And if you ever seen Ashley pissed off, it's not a good look. But I read about it. <laughs> how, how was Ashley pissed off? Well, no, I just redirected it. So I have very intense energy. And so I re redirected it into what you see today, which is the mission. I'm going to shift healthcare perspectives, period. And so you decide you have this mission, which I commend you for that. You're redirecting your energy instead of turning that anger, that vulnerability, that traumatic response into anger and victimhood, you're channeling it into something positive. How do you start the conversation now? You know, like, you're like, okay, I'm on this new mission. Do you wake up the next morning and start talking to your colleagues about what this new mission is? What did that look like? What was that transition? No, I kind of hit, I hit it from anybody that knew me. I was like, I'm going to do this in secret. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to do this under the radar. None of my friends or family are going to know. And so I would look for people who I didn't know so I could tell them. If I could go back in time, I probably would be more transparent. Like there's no need to hide it. But it was definitely a different time then because we've kind of evolved in our cannabis industry significantly. And especially here in Maryland, we're going wreck in July. But, um, you know, I just was like, I think everybody needs to know. It was like this, what is it called when, 
like a Robin Hood kind of thing, like steal from the rich, rob from the poor kind of thing. Like I was like, okay, I'm gonna go off and tell people as if I'm like some sort of bandit or something in the night. I don't know. But, you know, I just, I really felt compelled to just tell people about this plant and the endocannabinoid system. And I felt like I was exposing something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't doing it in my actual life. I was doing it in my quote unquote undercover life. And so, yeah, that's how it unfolded. <laughs> so t- tell us for those, you know, like, what did you know about this plant and the benefits that it could bring you that a lot of our listeners might not know about or might still consider it as a stigma, you know, like, oh my God, cannabis, are you crazy? No, you know, I'm going to go to jail. Tell us what you knew that some of us might not know. Yeah. So I, I brought it up a couple times, but the endocannabinoid system is, it's really not even about the plant itself. Not everybody has to use it. I'm not an advocate to tell everybody to go out and smoke a joint. It's not my goal, but we have to recognize that we have what's called the endocannabinoid system. And it's the largest neuroreceptor system in our body. And it's intended to create balance or what we call homeostasis in healthcare. And we make our own cannabinoids naturally in our bodies. Nobody talks about that. And so we call those endocannabinoids. The plant makes cannabinoids. We call those phytocannabinoids. The phytocannabinoid that everybody knows is THC. Everybody knows CBD, but they don't recognize that there are over 100 cannabinoids in the plant. And those cannabinoids bind to our endocannabinoid system when it's consumed. And so essentially the goal behind the entire endocannabinoid system, and I made it really simple, enzymes and things are included, but essentially the goal of the endocannabinoid system is to create balance or homeostasis. And so sometimes people are deficient in cannabinoids or need additional cannabinoids to help support their wellness journey. So, yeah. So what do you use? That's where you would use different types of plants and the different cannabinoids or the endocannabinoids. If I'm, I don't know how technical I'm getting because I'm trying to understand just the basics of it. Like you would talk to like someone that's going through cancer versus someone that's going through, I don't know, epileptic attacks versus someone that's looking for sleep solutions, you would come in and educate the healthcare providers as to what, it's almost like what prescriptions they could get. Would Is that too simple of it? You know, um, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Oh no, it's all good. So Technically, yes, but I'm not allowed to say it's a prescription. So we got you. Mm-hmm. Practitioners, they certify patients, but it's a patient-driven medication. So the patient makes all the choices, right? They're the ones who walk into the dispensary, decide what they're going to get. A healthcare provider can provide guidance on what products they might want to choose. And so an example of that is, let's say somebody is struggling with sleep. I would tell that patient to find a product that has a terpene, mm-hmm. which is a smell good component of the plant that called linalool. 
I would say find a plant that has that. So instead of listening to the strain names, which is what people tend to do, I would say, let's go deeper and let's look for the terpenes that will support you in your sleep. Cancer, epilepsy, they need higher amounts of, generally need higher amounts of THC. So they need to build up tolerance. So they might have concentrates in their regimen. Some people might benefit better from an edible versus smokable. They might benefit more from a topical, a suppository, and the methods of consumption play a part in how long it stays in our system, the effectiveness over time, things of that nature. And so what I would do is I would break that all of that information down and then tell them what parts to focus on. So when they go into the dispensary, they're not so overwhelmed with all of the different options and they're not persuaded by your bud tender who might've got super high the night before and had a great time. And, and as so they are not influenced by that person while they're usually well-intended, it's not always in the best interest of the patient. So, yeah. That's wonderful because I feel like we need more advocates for the patients that are looking for these solutions, because it seems a little bit overwhelming. Can you tell us a little bit, because I know a little, but not, I'm sure as much as you do of the properties of, you know, of the plant and how amazing, you know, like, can you give us some examples of what this, like I said, you know, I've known of patients, I've read stories of, you know, kids even with like epileptic attacks that don't have any more epileptic attacks. I know cancer patients that have been using it, you know, to help them through treatments and stuff. So can you give us some examples? So anyone that's listening that maybe it even opens up, you know, a little bit of like the light at the end of the tunnel that they never would have considered because of the stigma that we've placed on this plant, which I personally feel like it really is a miraculous plant. So I'm curious to hear your stories from the perspective of a nurse and what it could do for people that are suffering from different illnesses. Yeah. The number one reason why people will consider it is for pain. And so pain Chronic pain specifically is something that is associated with almost every disease process. Just about like it's very few that I can think of that doesn't result in some sort of pain. And so being able to have an alternative solution besides opioids is life-changing because we all know how addictive opioids can be. You have mentioned children, epilepsy, other severe chronic disorders that you know, a lot of people shy away from conversations about cannabis and kids, but I think it's necessary to advocate on their behalf too, because a lot of times the parents don't have the language. They don't know that that's something that can literally change their child's life. And usually the reason why people will debate that is because they feel like, oh, well, you know, the research says that it slows down brain development in children. Well, with every other drug that we prescribe, we administer, we consider the risk and the benefit. So why is this one different? So if you're having 20 seizures a day, maybe more, I'm pretty sure brain development is important, but wouldn't we like them to have a quality of life where they can participate in life? Go to school like a normal person, eat, sleep, 
right? And so all those things need to be considered if that's a route that you're going to choose for a child. Obviously, we don't want children smoking. That's another thing that people will say. Oh, you, you want the kids to smoke weed? No, we don't want the kids to smoke weed. Usually children take non-smokable forms, whether it's through tincture, concentrates, topicals, things like that. Usually for chronic disorder, it's in the form of tincture, one or two drops, a couple milligrams, small doses over time. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's a million different ways that this plant can be used. Pain, seizure, nausea, sleep are the most common forms. And if most of the times the symptoms, those are symptoms related to another disease process. And so another, another thing people get confused about is, are you saying that the cannabis can cure? Not necessarily. I'm saying that it can relieve specific symptoms. And there's a lot of evidence to support that. There's very little evidence to say it supports, can cures cancer. But I will say that I've heard anecdotally that I've heard tumors shrink as a result of cannabis consumption, you know, things like that. So, And is cannabis as addictive as the opioids? Because that's a whole other one, you know, like, oh, it's so addictive and it's, you know, this. Yeah, no, it's not. It does have a habit loop forming component to it. Like it feels good. So does everybody's Instagram and TikTok. opioids on the other hand is physiologically addictive meaning your body does not function yeah and so that's the difference yeah and are you still practicing nursing or are you just now educating different nurses and healthcare providers and consulting I do a little bit. So sometimes I'll do like home health things. I like to do different things. So whatever just comes my way, I'll consider it. For the most part, though, my main focus is education, um, consulting, things like that. So that's how I make most of my money. And are hospitals still offering or are they offering cannabis as an alternative or are they directly going to the pharmaceuticals? So Right now, we're in a transition where I think hospitals are becoming more accepted, so accepting of cannabis. So we do have some FDA-approved synthetic cannabinoids available. Marinol is one of them to help stimulate appetite, and they use it for some other reasons too. But California allows cannabis for their terminal patients, meaning end of life, in the hospital setting. Maryland and I think six other states are also petitioning for a policy around access in the hospital setting. So I'm pretty sure we'll see an influx of accessibility in the hospital over the coming years. And when you're saying synthetic, that there is an option that's synthetic, then it's not deriving from the plant. So we're back to pharmaceuticals, you know, like to me, I don't know. It's such an interesting conversation because do we want to heal our bodies with plants or do we want to heal our bodies with synthetic man-made options? And if you're saying that this particular one, it's not the plant then, it's just a synthetic version. It's a version of the plant. The problem is that it's hard to commodify a plant. So you have to make synthesized versions of it and hope for the best. And so that's essentially what our healthcare systems have done. 
Do you think that'll ever change? We'll see. <laughs> you know, capitalism is a thing. You know, we always have to figure out how money needs to be made. And I think what has been discovered is that there is a lot of money to be found in the legalization of cannabis, which is why we're seeing all of these states decide to legalize. Mm -hmm. um, it's been proven that you get the additional tax revenue, dispensaries make more money, you know, all these things. They get to tax the dispensaries some extra. Sometimes they get taxed two and three times, things like that. And so I think we're in an experimental state where we're trying to discover how can we best create this construct around this plant so that way you know, it makes the most money possible. So yeah, pharmaceuticals might miss out. Pharmaceutical companies may miss out on some additional dollars, but I don't know. We'll see. What's your vision for the world? Where would you like to see everything I, pan out like a decade from now? Or I generally just want freedom of choice. I really wish that there was less focus on how people make money, a little bit less focus on how we stigmatize each other, an acceptance of individualism in a way that's not so like skewed. Because there, another issue comes up is I'm an individual and now I'm going to like come off in this fake way is not authentic. So if there could be some balance in the way that we shut people off versus how exposed certain people are, can we find some balance and authenticity? And so I wish there would be more conversation about like what balance looks like. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. What's your vision with cannabis in the world? Same thing, access, choice, you know, understanding acceptance being able to get there do you think you'll get to see that in your lifetime I think so I honestly think so I, I think that stuff moves at a very quick pace these days you know and I think back in the 80s and 90s things moved a little bit slower but I'm pretty sure in the next 10 to 20 years the world is not going to look anything like it does today I think that the work that's being done in this space, cannabis industry specific, it's evolving, whether you like you like it or not. It doesn't matter what we think is happening. I think it's just a matter of being responsible with how we create and you know what we contribute to this space. And so for a lot of reasons, I don't think everybody's approaching this with integrity, which is not new. So for me, I just know what I can contribute and how... I plan to evolve myself and my business and maintaining that integrity throughout the business will help kind of create more balance in the way that we approach it, help remove stigma, help people feel accepted, to recognize that we're all different and the same. And so, yeah. Share with us, where can people find you, Ashley? You've talked about your book. We'll put that in the show notes too. www.cannabisnursingschool.com And the nursing school, is it just to teach other nurses about it and educate them about cannabis? 
Well, if you wanted to book me to speak, you could do that. If you wanted to buy the book, there's going to be a link there for that. If you are a nurse who's interested in learning more about my program, joining my tribe, I would be happy to have you in that. So, um, yeah. This is great. As we're wrapping up, what's one thing our listeners can do to live a life with more courage? Just be yourself, you know, like your silly, goofy, smart alecky self. Just be it. Whatever it is that makes you you, just be it. I am an advocate for authenticity, individualism. I think we need more of it. And so if this conversation could be anything inspiring, I give you permission to be yourself. That's awesome. I love that. We all need to give ourselves permission. Thanks for being with us, Ashley. I appreciate it. Thanks for spending time with us today. Of course. I am so grateful that you joined me today. If you enjoyed it, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Click on the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. Leave me a rating and a review, and please share. As my way to thank you, email us a screen grab of your review at the email in the show notes and we will send you a free Crafting Your Future guided visualization, which is so simple to do with outstanding results. It will empower you and give you the confidence to attract and create the life you've always desired. See you in our next episode.